0: Are you wanting to create a highly prosperous photography business doing what you love? Or maybe you have a great business already and want to up your game? Then you're in the right place. Master craftsman photographer Lucy Dumas and her guests are here to support you on your journey. Now here's your hostess and tour guide, Lucy.
1: Live life to the fullest. You have to color outside the lines once in a while. If you want to make your life a masterpiece, laugh some every day, keep growing, keep dreaming, keep following your heart. The important thing is to not stop questioning. That's by Albert Einstein. And that quote is in celebration of my dear friend, Jennifer George. This episode is a replay of our conversation early in this show, and she lost her battle with cancer recently, and I had her on my show early because I wanted to be sure that people could know about her passion, her creativity, her contribution to the world. She was an amazing, amazing artist and lover of people. She lived life to the fullest, and so in celebration of all that she is and all that we all are. I'm replaying this at the end of 2020. And I know that your hearts go out to her family and people who loved her. And and I hope you enjoy. So here we go with Jennifer George. Hello, and welcome again to my podcast. This is Lucy. I'm super excited that you've tuned in again and hope you'll continue to do so. And subscribe and review and share with your friends. Sharing is caring. A favorite quote from my guest. And there was a new voice that you would slowly recognize as your own. Mary Oliver. This happens to be my guest's favorite quote. So I thought I would start with that. And I just want to say hello and howdy to all of you cool photographers out there. I want to do a little quick shameless plug and get this out of the way. Before we have an amazing conversation with one of my favorite humans. You can learn more about insight training for photography, the one-on-one and group coaching programs. Download my free ebook, 10 Big Ideas for Marketing High Dollar Photography in the Real World, at LucyDumascoaching.com. And if you just want to send me an email, make a comment you know, to say hello, you can go to Lucy with an I at lucydumas.com. And now that that's out of the way, let me introduce you to Jennifer George. Jennifer is a writer of three how-to photography books, which are available on Amazon and photography stores. She's a speaker and educator and has traveled around the U.S. and other countries teaching creative photography international award winner, including California Photographer of the Year. She's the founder of a nonprofit called Art Inspiring Change. She has a blog on life lessons. She has an exhibit on violence against women. And she has a national reputation for her intimate stylistic portraits. And her passion is revealing the inner essence of the person. Her career includes her high end boutique portrait business with exclusive clients in the United States and Europe to capture the love and emotion in families, couples, and parents. She has taught at PPA and WPPI conventions and travels internationally. In 2014, she began using her photography to tell stories of abused women with an exhibit called Exposing Scars. This powerful project was exhibited for two months at the Women's Museum in California and several other venues, including colleges. So, wow, Jennifer, (laughs) it is such an honor to have you on my show. Welcome.
2: Well, I feel honored and blessed and so happy to be here today, something I've been looking forward to. Me too. You are one of my favorite people also.
1: (laughs) We heart each other. That's what's so fun about me starting this podcast is I get to introduce whoever finds me and listens to some really special people that I've known in my lifetime. And this is a good one. (laughs) So tell me about your photography journey, where you started, how you grew the portrait business.
2: So I get to start with a funny little story in that I actually did go to a professional photography school program. They had one in San Diego at the local city college. And while I was attending college, I actually had my three children. So it would be take classes, stop a little bit, take classes, stop a little bit. But it allowed me to also look at the world of photography around me, particularly in the San Diego area. And I was very interested in portraiture. I, my first love was fashion. But as I continued to have more children, I started to realize I don't think I'm going to make it to New York with three babies on my back. So <laughs> the next thing that seemed to work with um, raising a family was to be a portrait photographer and very interesting. I kept seeing this one particular photographer's work. I would see it in Parenting Magazine or, oh, just all over. And that photographer, I'm like, wow, she's really gifted and seems to be very profitable in the sense that she has really marketed herself well. She is well-known. And that photographer was Lucy Dumas. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't know if I've ever told you that. No, no. Thank you. I um, didn't know what you looked like. So my very first woman in photography, creative photography meeting, I went up to a woman and said, oh, hi, are you Lucy? And it wasn't, it wasn't you. Ah. And I'm like, darn, I was hoping I'm going to meet this really fabulous photographer And of course, eventually I did.
1: Yes. So I remember you asking me about lighting and wanting to get a little quick tip because you had a vision in mind of how you wanted your portraits to look and you went on this search. Mm -hmm. And so I do remember teaching you a little quick class on seeing light. And as I watched the way you put that and your other lessons to use in your Style, you know, it was really fun to think that I had a small part in that work. So I was honored.
2: You certainly did. I would say that I am definitely a Type A personality. I'm learning to be a Type B, Uh and being uh, very ambitious, I would seek out information. I was like a sponge, constantly seeking things out and soaking it up. So not only what did I tend the program at City College. But as I transitioned out of that program, completing it, I transitioned into meeting professional photographers through what is called the Professional Photographers of America, but their local chapter, Professional Photographers of San Diego. And that exposed me to people like you that were already working professionals and making a living and so I was able to, you know, one-on-one, attend seminars, workshops given by the local affiliation. More importantly is I was able to start watching the local competition, which they had once a month or every other month.
1: Every other month, yeah.
2: And being as ambitious as I am, I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to win this. Yeah. <laughs> and I started right out of the gate being very competitive. And what it did for me is it did two things. It pushed me and drives me to be outside of my box, to be as creative as possible and also be as technical as possible, because those are the two criterias that were very intensely looked at in competition. I really believe that is what helped catapult my career. Because that also led to me competing on a statewide level and an international level. Those competitions, when I won the state level, and then I won the international and uh, U.S. level, what happened is it allowed me to market myself now as someone different than everyone else out there. It also gave me lots of free publicity. And that's invaluable.
1: Yes. So your work came on the scene with such an original and compelling style. How did you get your ideas?
2: I think this is what you always, you know, every teacher says to students and we say to our children, we say to our friends is you have to find your true authentic self. Mm. It was definitely extension of my values, morals and beliefs. And it wasn't that I was seeking out pretty pictures or beautiful subjects, but it was that I was looking to reveal my inner core through my work. What issues were important to me and making a statement with those issues. And that's what gave it a little bit of a twist mm-hmm. because in competition. I think most people saw competition as I need to find the most beautiful scene. I need to have the most beautiful model. You know, it was much more on the object versus the message. Mm-hmm. So to give
1: you a little paint, a little picture, Jennifer at that time, especially was doing beautiful children a lot of them multi-cultural or multi-ethnic and combinations. She used fabrics and gauze and paint. But even if you took all of that away, her beautiful natural light that she did a studio look, but with natural light. And then there was a closeness. There was an intimacy that the subjects leaning into each other and And the warmest expressions. So, what was your statement? You said you were, you were, uh, your heart, your values. What was that?
2: I grew up with a very strong backbone value of equality. Ah. And I think, especially in coming through the '90s, there still was quite a bit of inequality in our country. And children, you know, from the mouth of the babes, they don't see the exterior of a person. They see the interior of the person. And that innocence and just pure love was something that I wanted to express in my imagery. And while I think this was really important is doing the competition prints with some type of story or statement really pushed me as a mm-hmm. photographer and as a director internally to figure out where I was coming from and to allow what I was trying to speak through the image to be betrayed by the subjects. That was critical because using that skill and honing that skill on these competition prints allowed me to transfer that same skill set when I worked with portrait families.
1: Mm-hmm. How did you find those beautiful models?
2: Well, the first thing you always do is use people around you. Uh huh. I seriously, I would say um, the children probably all came from my neighborhood. Um, they were children that my kids played with. Mm-hmm. Any organization I belong to, uh, my church, I would see beautiful subjects there. And as I grew and kind of exhausted my um, own base of models, I did something where I printed up a business card that had an image of exactly what I was doing and a sol- real very short explanation that ex- described what I was trying to achieve. And the children and I would, when we go to a shopping mall or grocery store or anywhere, if I saw an exceptional model, I would hand the parent the card. And one of the first things I said, because we all know when we're approached by strangers, our guard goes up immediately, Mm -hmm. was I was very careful to say, Hi, you know, I'm a photographer and I'm working on my portfolio and I'm looking for beautiful subjects, gorgeous people like your children. And this is not anything that you have to pay for because you're doing me a favor by allowing me to photograph your child. For my portfolio. I will give you an image from it, but you're gonna be helping me and it costs nothing but some of your time.
1: Mm. Did you offer them the opportunity to purchase additional portraits?
2: You know, I I did, but I don't I don't find that most of them would. They usually took the finished product because mm-hmm. so if I did a competition print, I would just do two. You know, it wasn't that much money for me. Right. So they ended up with this stunning picture. Now, let me tell you, that led to more clients because, of course, they hung it up in their home and, of course, people saw it and they said, Well, we got to model for this photographer. You should look her up. Mm-hmm. And I get more clients from it. Nice. Later on, if a couple of years went by and they wanted more photo sessions or more images, then I would charge them. Okay. So they so- came to me for then that would, they would be charged for it.
1: Right. So I was going to ask you a question and then I think you kind of, uh, what you shared almost answered the question, which was in this digital age that we're in now, would you give them the files or still the print? And what I'm guessing is you'd still do the print only so that they could have a beautiful portrait that fully represents your your images as opposed to a digital file that they could go print at Walmart?
2: Well, you know, that's a, that's a tricky one because I'm going to tell you the best marketing you can possibly do is to have them post it on Instagram. Right. So I think what I would do in this situation is I would give them a low resolution file with my logo on it. Mm Mm-hmm. And I probably would give them more than one because I'm not giving them a print, and I would ask them to not crop off. I'd have them sign a document that they would not crop off the logo, and that they would tag me
0: mm-hmm. in, the
2: image and that they would post them. Oh. and everyone loves that. So yes. I, I think that was what I would do today.
1: So what I do, but I have more control over it. And thank you for that. That's a great idea. Is I post it on my Facebook and then I tag them and that way it's still in their world. They're the people still see them, but I am assured that it links back to me and, you know, could try different ways, but I, I agree in this day and age, it's a way to get much more visible. So I wanted to ask you about your books because Jennifer has written three Books on photography. In fact, whenever I go to my local camera stores, Nelson's or George's, I will almost always notice that one is still, at least one is still in their in their book rack. So, tell me how you got the opportunity to write the books and and kind of how you wrote them.
2: Oh, I think this goes back to when I was competing. I was what I would say honing my skills. And I also was defining my vision, which is critical in this day and age, particularly when there is a plethora of photographers who just bought a new camera.
1: Yes, it's December 26th. Oh, goody, a lot of photographers just were born. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so I think it's even more important than it was at the time that I started. Mm-hmm. I really started to zero in on my vision and, and my look um, so much though so that when an image would come up in competition they would go oh that's a jennifer George which mm-hmm. is actually very good.
1: Yes powerful but
2: if we see an image today we'll know we'll go oh well that's a Annie Leibovitz. right away whose it is. So successful artists and photographers do have a feel and a look in what they do.
1: So did Am, it's Amherst or Ambrose? Am,
2: Amherst. So Amherst. did they approach I, you or did you approach yes, them? They did approach me because my images had such a striking look to them mm-hmm. that I would they would see them at national competitions because they would have a booth and they would walk around and look at everything and they would see these particular style of images. And they continued to see them. Also, when I would win um, very large awards, there were very often magazine articles um, in uh, national photography magazines, you know, printed up mm-hmm. about my images. So the publisher kept seeing this particular photographer and approached me by sending me, which I think is really hilarious, a mimogram. Half sheet little piece of paper that said, Hi, we're really interested in your book, your your images, and, and interested in talking to you about creating a book.
1: Mm-hmm. Do you think that most of the listeners know what a mimeogram is?
2: Probably not. Oh, well, I copy. No, yeah. I'm yeah. just yeah. saying.
1: Uh, it's just a, a it, copy. changes so fast that even a fax is a rare thing. They right. So
2: it would be um, if somebody just sent, it, sent you. A form letter. Right. I, so I didn't take it seriously. uh And I was talking to my best friend, and I said, I got this piece of half sheet piece of paper. You know, I'm sure they sent it to everyone yeah. And she said, Well, I don't see why they would, but you know, why don't you just call them? Because I had a phone number, and mm-hmm. I, I called the number. And I said, hi, this is Jennifer George. And immediately the person answered the phone goes, oh, hold on. Wow. And the next thing I know, hi, this is a publisher of of Amherst Media, and we have been wanting to talk to you. So lesson learned. Just because it's a copy yeah. <laughs> you that looks like a form letter, it doesn't mean that they're actually sending them to everyone.
1: Right, right. So how long did it take you to write a book? One year. Blood, sweat, and tears, or was it easy?
2: It's blood, sweat, and tears.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was, um, I don't know, with some interview on on a talk show, and somebody had written a book, and they said it was a lot like childbirth where you're like oh i have this idea this will be fun this is not fun this is too hard i can't stand it i'm in pain oh wait this is fun blah 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 ah, and then the book gets born and you're like oh i would do that again did you feel that way or you kind of so, forget the pain well, the first, first to...
2: one was incredibly difficult because i was in territory i did not understand
1: yes and but after it was over
2: then it, i understood it yes. and you're
1: like yeah i could do that again
2: So I was able to go on and do two more books because I understood the whole rhythm,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: the pattern and, you know, how to actually prep years before Mm -hmm. starting from the first book from then on, I metadata tagged my images in Lightroom or whatever program you're using. So that I also created files. So if I did a baby photo shoot, I would dump it into a file. If I had like exceptional image into, Mm -hmm. I did a family that I thought was, you know, extraordinary, a family. So I started collecting files geared towards the possibility of books in the future.
1: Oh, that's smart.
2: And I would suggest that photographers start from the get-go, in the beginning of their career. Um, even if they feel that their images are not that strong, I, I'm going to tell you the truth is if you end up doing a book like that, you're probably going to have some images that aren't as strong as others and that's okay. Yeah. You're going to do It's called filler.
1: Yeah. I also, um, really loved that you invited some guests to submit, uh, a short article for, different topics. And it was really an honor to be part of one of your books. So how did you choose the people that you had to support you and, and submit some pictures and a, a short article for your book?
2: Well, I, by the time I was writing, I knew quite a few nationally and some even internationally photographers. So it wasn't that hard for me to select, uh, from, the vast majority that mm-hmm. I knew today would be even easier because of Facebook and Instagram. And I would send out inquiry letters. Not everyone answered and not everyone got their images back to me in time. So yeah. they be excluded from the book. Mm-hmm. Now, interesting. I do want to say this. Most of my comments come from the fact that I did include other photographers. When you look at my reviews, so that's a really good aspect of when you produce something that's educational um, to think about is to have other points of views it's because clearly the, the readers very much enjoyed that aspect of my books.
1: Well, that's good to know. That's interesting. And what I'm hearing as I'm listening to your journey is what a lot of people may have not even considered which is getting involved in the profession, putting your work in front of people for critique, having personal work and sharing that and making friends, becoming known that a lot of people say, well, my clients don't really care. You know, you're a master craftsman, correct? Yes, I am. Yes. So having your master and your craftsman degree You know, it's like, oh, I like the green awards, but there's, first of all, there's something that I heard you say about making the commitment to photograph in a way that would do well in competition, made your personal work or your professional work even stronger. And then the notoriety because of the awards, because of being seen and known built all kinds of other opportunities for you. And I, I think you were sharing with me how all of this actually helped you with the growing a business where people from around the country and even Europe hired you to do portraits of their children and families. Can, can you tell me a little about, about that or?
2: Well, I think you have to see competition as marketing opportunity.
1: So how did people in Europe find you?
2: Well, here's a little bit different about my business. You know, I was a high-end boutique photographer for, I, to be honest with you, with the, for the very wealthy. Mm-hmm. How, how that all happened was coincidental. However, I do believe that can be manufactured. Mm-hmm. It was coincidental in the fact that I happened to live in an area where people had money. Uh But you don't have to live in an area or be of high means yourself. You just need to understand how to reach those people. So I had already a built-in way that I reached them. Every time I would also win an award, I made sure I marketed the heck out of my area. Mm. Because those people who achieve higher levels of wealth are themselves go-getters usually and high achievers and they have an appreciation for that they also like to be aligned with the things that are the best right so it's really important to use these things to market yourself in such a way as to reach your target audience And, and that is something i i think all photographers really need to think about is not only their vision, what their work looks like, but who is your audience and how Mm -hmm. do you reach them?
0: Right.
2: How can you reach them? Mm -hmm. And so what happened for me is being an award winner photographer (laughs) really resonated with my neighborhood and the community I lived in. So that started me off of getting those type of clients I had to continue though doing a couple of other things. I still had to continue to compete because I needed to refresh their mind. Mm-hmm. I'm still winning. I'm still winning. I also would do um, exhibits, so I would go to the local library and ask if I could put up an exhibit of images, and then I Ooh. would have a opening, you know, wine and cheese opening. Ooh. These type of little events were things that. My clientele and the community to could come to to then even add to that perception of me being something special and um, you know some once a somebody different in from the herd of all the photographers right,
1: now. so do you think that it would matter now that there's hundreds of thousands of people in San Diego? if you still lived in this county, who I I think it's hundreds of thousands because there's over 800 within my zip code that call themselves professional photographers. Do you think that that is a way that you would just totally be able to?
2: I think it's the only way you can. Yeah. I mean, Honestly, I think I would not start business now. Absolutely not. Unless I had a very, very narrow vision. I worked it extremely hard to have it technically precise. Mm -hmm. I brought it before contemporaries to have it looked at, critiqued and learned. I would continue to work on it very, very hard before I even launched a business. Then I would make sure that it was speaking to the audience, which I would want to reach. And to be honest with you, I would only. Only go toward the high-end clients Mm -hmm. because the market's too saturated now for for mid-range or even low-range. There's way too. You will have a difficult time making a living staying with the herd. You're going to have to break away from the herd.
1: Right. You broke up there for a second, but you said the market was. I think you meant the word
2: saturated. Oversaturated. It's oversaturated. Right. Photographers. Right. And that I would so recommend that. I would probably tell someone to make sure that they take some art classes. They take workshops on marketing, on social media. They become very savvy on all the elements that is needed to be successful today. Mm -hmm. Right. I wanted to get to the subject of the clients in Europe. So when you go towards a high-end client, High-end clients are not stagnant. Usually, more than likely, their income grows over time. Mm -hmm. So it was very common for my clients to move up to a bigger house, to a bigger house, to a second home, on and on. So I was very lucky that my clients took me along that road with them. When they got to the point that some were now living in homes in Europe, they brought me there. Hmm. That's how you do it. And that's why honing in on a clientele that's going to grow is a really great place to be.
1: Yes. And by the way, dear listeners, she did this while raising three children and at a certain point was a single mom. So, you know, you got the grit. Grit's my favorite word right now for how to make things happen in our business And Jennifer is absolutely a woman with grit (laughs) to me.
2: So you can't let anything stop you. Um, That's why it's important to have a a clear vision of what you're doing, because a vision will keep you going when things get tough.
1: Okay. So that brings me to when things got tough for Jennifer.
2: Yes, they did. And she
1: had a... A health challenge, do you want to share about that, how it affected your business and then
2: well i now I'm very, very grateful and realize how blessed I am that I took a particular road. I was diagnosed with breast cancer in two thousand and eleven at a height of my my career when I was working tremendously, traveling quite a bit. I had cut back on speaking because my kids were now adolescents and needed me at home, but I had, my second book had been re- released. So you know, my career was just exploding mm-hmm. and lo and behold, I have breast cancer and I'm a single mother of three adolescents was not easy. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I let my clients know upfront what was happening. I let my friends all know upfront what was happening. And I took took about six months off to go through surgery, radiation, and to start on tamoxifen. What happened was interesting is when I sent out my emails to clients, I said, you know, I know this is gonna be a difficult time. I won't be able to meet your needs, but I know all of you use me every year, if not once, twice. If you would like to go ahead and prepay for sessions, so that you know I have some income flow during the six months, please let me know, and we'll go ahead and do that. And then when I'm better, I will, you know, continue with your images. Wow. So what happened is the majority gave me money. They mm-hmm. said, "Take it." I mean, I would say ninety percent said, "Just take the money." Wow. There were some that said, yeah, I'll put it towards my photo session. But I knew that they buy so much more that it didn't matter to me. It was very important to have that cash at that time to hold me through the six months I needed.
1: And then what happened at the end of that six months?
2: Well, I think I was so excited to get back into work. There's actually a video on my website, and it's called six shoots, eight days. And boy, it shows you how hard I work in one week <laughs> to all the type of work. At that point, I was a generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I had my very set look, but clients would now have me do other aspects. Let's say they owned a business. They'd have me do that, or they were getting married. They would have me do that because once I became a family's photographer, that's it. They did not want anyone else doing any other aspect. So you you will see the range I end up doing in that that video.
1: Interesting. So you yeah. had a niche, yes, which is the way you grew your business, which didn't mean you said no to other things that that were in your wheelhouse.
2: I did. I said no to those outside of my clientele.
1: Ah, interesting.
2: I became that family's photographer, right? Why did I say no? Well, usually I didn't have to say no. I would just give them the price, and they. It would be
1: like, oh, fall up a chair.
2: (laughs) But my clients were used to my pricing. My clients were used to me, so that wasn't an issue.
1: So it sounds like you came back with a bang.
2: I did. I came back with a bang, and I was. It was wonderful. I mean, Mm -hmm. it was wonderful to be so embraced, Uh, and I was able to release a third book. Awesome. During that time,
1: and then uh, 2014 you created an exhibit and a book. Can you tell me about what the motivation was for that, where that came from, what the experience was like in a short version?
2: In an interesting way, my vision wasn't my personal life or personal images. Now people will be like, what? Well, it's like my personal images were my hobby. My vision was a component of my work, so I still had my hobby on the side, which was actually creating images that could not be sold and were not necessarily for competition.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: They were images that meant tremendous amount to me of inner turmoil that I was working out, as if when a writer might journal what's happening in their daily life okay so i started a personal project on abuse sort of like domestic violence and as i showed it to friends they'd be oh my goodness you need to meet my friend she's been so through through so much so then i would meet the friend and i would talk with her and do an image for her and then so over i actually started the project in 2007 So it literally took me seven years to finish Mm, it. mm. But I had not an intention of finishing a certain project. I was doing it because it was cathartic for me. Mm -hmm. It just grew into that. Once I had a few images, I joined an artist group where you kind of encourage each other on projects. And I joined the group not for that project, but for interestingly, I was trying to find like another hobby type of project. Once they saw the images of the of the abused women, they were like, wow, this is way more than a hobby. Yeah. yeah. And, they wrote it. and so for an entire year, once a month, they would, we'd all meet, everyone talk about their projects, but they would want to see my next, next growth, my next growth, my next growth. And the project got to the point where it was ready to be exhibited. And I submitted a packet, just, just like you would do if you submitted a portfolio to an art school. So, you, you know, very, very high-end, beautifully done packet of imagery in a letter to uh, the director of the Women's Museum of California. And boom, she's like, okay, we want it. Nice. When can you get it to us? And it ended up being on um, exhibit for two months. Just so you all know, they only do exhibits for one month. But it was Uh so popular, they held it over and they pushed out the next month's exhibit because people were getting, they were getting so much feedback from them.
1: And you also made a book of the images.
2: I made like of, actually the museum did. They actually made um, almost like a brochure booklet. If you would go see a series of Van Gogh paintings, Mm -hmm. every image. I had a poet who had seen the images and asked to write a poem on each image. So you have in there, you have the image of the woman, you have her story, and then you have a poem. And it's a, a very powerful booklet that, Probably one day it might end up being an actual book mm-hmm. of some sort. You know, I, I'm I'm waiting on that right now.
1: Is that book available anywhere? The Exposing Scars or
2: no, it's, it's not.
1: available to be seen.
2: Yes, the photographs are on a link on my website, which is jennifergeorge.net dot net.
1: Uh huh.
2: And I'll have to prefix this. It's there. You'll find um, both the Um, video, and you will find um, the exhibit. What you won't find is my professional work. That is my art photography page. Mm -hmm. So when you first open it, you're not going to see families and children, you're going to see my art photography.
1: Is there somewhere that you still show the work that we were talking about earlier, and or your professional work?
2: They are, I would say, available in my books.
1: Okay,
0: awesome. It's
2: not on a website. It's all now stored in the books. And the books are now ebooks. Okay. Oh. Very inexpensive. Wow. So you don't have to, I, just a couple dollars for the, I think it's the first two books. I'm not quite sure. Um, you can just buy them as ebooks and then you can look at all the images. And I think it'll give you a good idea of my style of how I work with families, children, babies, all of that.
1: I will say, though, they're beautiful books. And having an actual printed book that that catches your eye on your bookshelf, that you open over and over again, is so powerful. Digital books kind of melt away like snow in my computer. I don't know about you. So I love my copies of your books.
2: So I have a little bit to say about that, if you don't mind. Sure. I don't think that style of books will continue to exist. Hmm. The reason being is, first of all, you cannot self-publish that. To self-publish those books would have cost about $70 per book. Mm -hmm. So there would be no way for you to retail it. When you have a traditional publisher, they print 5,000, 10,000 or more a run. And then you get your residual, which is usually about 10 to 20% actually. It's Mm -hmm. very low of each book sold. So that is the only way to do it. Now, given that if you're not able to have a traditional publisher pick up your work, because they are being much more cautious. Um, They're looking only for people that have a huge, huge following. They're looking for celebrity level type of authors. Mm It would be very difficult to do that. Right. That should not keep you from one day creating a book. I think all photographers with a vision Should do exactly what I did and that is you start putting images into a file You start archiving your ideas. You start writing You know every once in a while sit down and and voice record it or Write it or type your some of your ideas Mm -hmm. Because one day you may have enough information to self-publish right And you may have a following, most likely, that is large enough and can afford your book that may cost you, let's say, $70 to print, but you sell it for $100, you know, signed. So I I would not totally discount the fact that there is a possibility of doing books.
1: Right. It sounds like you would agree with what I've heard from many other authors, that they're really a a labor of love, not a way to make a bunch of money. No, you do not. And that if you self-publish and print a ton, it's quite possible you're going to have a garage full of books. (laughs) However, and I don't want to go way into this, but I think Amazon has a way that someone can buy a printed copy and Amazon prints it. One at a time.
2: But I don't, I don't think they print high quality. Right. Right. Just print and, material.
1: Yes. But, but the calling card to be able to say you're an author is powerful. You know, it's a great marketing. And I'm sure that the journey for you to write those books grew you also.
2: I'm going to be real here. I do not believe that for my high end clients that it mattered that I wrote the book. Right. I don't think that was any criteria. Okay. I think it was. But how about with your speaking? Yes. I was just going to say with my speaking, teaching workshops, being an author is huge. Yes. But as I had said earlier, I pulled myself out because of my family's need to have me at home.
1: Right. Right. So is there anything else that you would like to share before we wrap up with photographers something you know you're passionate that you just like oh want to make sure that that they know or they think about or understand
2: they, I kind of want to move forward a little bit and tell them I recently heard I probably in a podcast cuz I listen to podcasts Someone say they were looking at their life and they were, I don't know what they were, what they were a photographer or an artist or something. And now it was time the the, the thing that they were doing, producing wasn't something they could do any longer or uh, wasn't making money. And the coach on the podcast said, okay, let's take your two best skills. And have you take those together and creatively combine them mm. come up with a third product? And I thought, my goodness, I'm no longer working because I retired in 2015. But what am I really good at? Mm-hmm. I'm actually really good at photography. And I'm really good at writing. And those two things I can do from home. I can do from my bedroom if I wanted to. Because I had such a vast, huge amount of stored images already. And I have always been a writer in my head. I journaled, you know, I every time I would be frustrated, I would voice text into my phone. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, gosh, this might be a great retirement type of career for me. And I started a blog called Wisdom Seeds dot life. And I'm going to share every aspect of my life Mm -hmm. um, from my battles to things I learned to eventually I'll even share my photography. I will share. So I I created it. It took me quite a long time because I coded it, a lot of it myself, which I don't recommend. (laughs) I am thrilled with it.
1: And it gives you something to do rather than sitting on a beach drinking a pinga colada. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> Which I know you have lots of other things going on in your life besides that.
2: But it, um, I think it, it that advice was the strongest I, advice I got at this moment in my life. Nice. I would like everyone listening to think about that because <laughs> you can take two things you're really good at and then combine them.
1: Yes. So I uh, I was at a program um, on coaching, a three-day workshop, and she was giving some different ideas and principles, and she called what you're just talking about the peanut butter cup principle. Oh, really? Because you take two things and put them together, and you have a new amazing thing. Because yeah. peanut butter is great. And chocolate is great, but yes, when I I can't even have one within like it's bad enough that there's a 7 Eleven box away. <laughs> Binge those peanut butter cups. So think about what is your peanut butter cup in life. And exactly. yours is writing and photography. So I love it.
2: It was interesting because in the beginning I'm gonna tell you it was hard. It was very hard. I was a little bit out of my comfort zone. But as I plogged along and kept going, and it, it's like you said, giving birth to a baby, it's started to actually take form. Mm. And the form is now there. The content is not all there. It's very raw right now. Don't mind people looking at it. In fact, I would love people to subscribe to it because it's going to grow. And I'm going to allow people to give comments and feedback on the things that I write about. Yes very exciting for me to have that to be able to get up every morning and think what is it that I want to say or I Mm -hmm. need to say
1: right it's so great to have something that is a reason to to want to jump out of bed and hit the ground running and it sounds like you you've found something at this stage in your life that that is bringing you that that joy and so Jennifer, how else can they contact you, see your blog? And I know there's a s- special place that you would like to invite them to donate to. So can you give us those that info?
2: I would absolutely love to. I started a nonprofit called Art Inspiring Change. And it was to promote artists to create work of social issues just as I did with my abuse violence against women project called Exposing Scars. So the nonprofit can be reached at artinspiringchange.org. And there is a donation button. And here is something special I would really love you to do. When you click on the donation button, if you scroll down, you'll see another button that says scholarship. And that is the Jennifer George scholarship that is given once a year to an artist with a project of social issue to be put on exhibit. And I would mean so much to me to have you donate to that special scholarship.
1: Okay. And then how else can we contact you and find your blog and so forth?
2: My website is Mm JenniferGeorge.net. It is primarily to my art photography. And my new love, and the one thing that I'm so thrilled about and would love to have you take a look at is wisdomseeds.life.
1: Okay. And if they wanted to email you, they can do that through your jennifergeorge.net?
2: Yes, they can. Okie doke.
1: So Okay, I have one last question. If you could define the word profitable that is beyond actually bringing in money, how would you define it?
2: A meaningful life. Mm. Because that's exactly what I had. I had a tremendously rewarding, exciting and adventurous life. And I'm so very grateful I think it's something money can't buy. And so in that sense, I hit the jackpot. Mm -hmm. And that, to me, is what profit's all about, is creating the world that you desire, creating your vision, and allowing yourself to live that vision.
1: I love it. Thank you. I heart you so much. And I'm sure all the listeners do too and wish they lived next door to you. <laughs> <laughs> Which doesn't mean I don't also love everybody else that I've interviewed so far.
2: <laughs>
1: Jennifer and I just have this little
2: special connection.
1: special connection that brings little tears to my eyes when we talk about it. <sighs> Thank you so, so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And tune in next week for the exciting further adventures of The Profitable Photographer. And if you listen closely, you'll hear the reminder to please connect and review and all that good stuff. So thank you, Jennifer. This has been great.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Wonderful. Take care. Very grateful for it.
2: Thank you.